1: And we join him right now with today's message.
2: I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, if you will. Uh, This letter was addressed to Christians who lived in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the world at that time. Paul, the apostle, wrote this letter. We looked at last week, he started out as a Persecutor of the church, he, was, he literally went house to house, knocked on doors and dragged off men and women and threw them into prison. Well, he, he becomes a Christian, and he goes from a persecutor to a, now he's a preacher, and he uh, travels the world uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, very ironic, he himself is persecuted, and he ends up in jail. And this letter, the book of Ephesians, was written while he was in jail. Uh, he went to Ephesus and he plants the first ever Christian church in that city. He 's there two years. He leaves. He 's gone 10 years. even though he's arrested, he hears that the church has fallen back into some of its worldly ways. And so this book is written to address uh, some of the worldly things that they're involved, but first. He takes the first three chapters to talk about the riches that are ours because of Jesus Christ. There was a woman named Hetty Green. Her first name is H-E-T-T-Y. Uh, you can actually Google this is a true story. Back at, in the 1900s, the early 1900s, Hetty Green was the wealthiest woman in America. Not only was she the wealthiest woman... She was the stingiest woman. Uh, She was a tight one. And uh, she was known, she had a nickname, her name, they called her the Witch of Wall Street was her name. Some of the stories are legendary of her stinginess. And when she died in 1916, her estimated worth was $200 million, which in today's money, is equivalent to $4 billion. This is a wealthy woman. They say she only ate cold oatmeal because she did not want to pay to heat it up. It was the cost factor to heat it up, is what she was concerned about. It is said that one night she spent half the night, like six hours, on her knees looking around her house for a one or two cent uh, stamp. Also, uh, she would only wash the portions of her dress that were dirty. She'd never wash the whole dress. Just the, whatever got dirty, she'd wash because she didn't want to pay for the soap uh, that it cost to wash the whole dress. And the worst story is she had a son who had a severe leg injury, and uh, she, took, she wanted to take him to a free clinic. She could have taken him to any doctor in the world, but she did not want to spend the money, so she, she spent her time looking for a free health clinic uh, and by that time, an infection set in on that boy's leg, and that boy's leg had to be amputated, her own son. Now, Hetty Green is an illustration of Christians who have unlimited riches at their disposal, and yet they live in poverty, spiritually speaking. Last week, we looked at this truth that we're all saints. All of us in Christ are saints. Nine times in this book, Paul refers to the believers who lived there, those who were followers of Christ, as saints. And we in the church, we should be helping others see who they are in Christ. Because if you don't see yourself as Christ sees you, you will never be what Christ has called you to be. You are not worthless. You are priceless in the eyes of God. You're not dirty, you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. You're not a filthy sinner, you've been graced. The Bible says you are a new creation. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. It's not that you're unloved. You are highly favored and blessed because Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. So the first one, write this down in your notes. If you're in Christ, according to verse 3, you have every spiritual blessing. Verse 3 reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, when I think of every spiritual blessing, I think two words come to mind. I want you to write them both down. One is the source and the other is the scope. What is the source and the other is the scope? Who is the source, according to verse 3, who is the source of all of our blessings? It says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every blessing in your life comes from God. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. If there's anything that's good, anything that's good in your life, if anything is perfect in your life, if you have anything in your life that you consider a blessing, just note this, it comes from the hand of Almighty God. The scope, the scope, it says every spiritual blessing. You see, you're not even aware of half of the blessings that God has given to you because we're just kinda, we just don't see things the same. Spiritual blessings are things that money cannot buy. You see, when I talked about riches in Christ, some of you, all you saw were dollar signs. We're not talking about dollar signs. Spiritual blessings are things that money cannot buy. These blessings are immeasurable. They're not found at the supermarket or at the shopping mall. They come from the heavenly realms. I have a list. I sat down this week. just took me just a minute to write down a few things that come from the spiritual heavenly realm that God has given to us. One is eternity. What is eternity worth? Aren't you glad that life is more than just this life? And don't you know that you're going to live a long, long, long time after this life? It's a thing called eternity. It's a heavenly blessing. Is there any way you can put a dollar amount on what eternity is worth? No, it's something money cannot buy. What about Mercy. And grace, what is that worth to you? God's grace. What about forgiveness of sins? Isn't it amazing that whatever sin you've ever committed, no matter how shameful it is, that when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he washed those sins and forgave you of those sins, and that today you're completely set free. Oh, oh, what is that worth to you? How much is hope worth? Hope in this life, hope in the next life hope today hope for tomorrow how about contentment and security and salvation the fact that here today your eyes are open to the truth of God's Word because not everybody's eyes are open not everybody's heart is soft towards the gospel but your eyes are open your heart is soft towards the gospel what is that worth that you even have an opportunity here today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you all have guardian angels and you have the Spirit of God You have the provision of God, the protection of God. You have faith and peace and love and unity. We have comfort from above. We have wisdom from above. There are streets that are paved with gold that one day you will be walking on and you're going to go to a place where there is no sorrow and no tears and no heartache and you will live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. What is that worth? Number two, write this down. We are chosen. He chose us. He chose us. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, that God chose the Jewish people he chose the nation of Israel to be his people the Bible then says in Exodus chapter 19 verses uh, 3 through 6 not only does it say that he chose them it actually the Bible says that he calls them by name he names them his chosen people and then the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7 Verses 7 and 8, why he chose the nation of Israel is because he loves them. It wasn't Israel. Israel wasn't the one that chose God. God was the one that chose Israel. And then it was through Israel that God chose the lineage of Jesus Christ. There were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. God chose from those 12 tribes to bring Jesus Christ into this world the tribe that he chose was the tribe of judah and then god chose through jesus to die on a cross that when he died on that cross that he died for every jewish person on this planet and he died for every gentile on this planet it's what god chose i want you to take your bibles and turn like one page to the left to galatians chapter 3 You see, Paul wrote this book too, and you'll see several themes that he preaches over and over again, and we see the same thought here in the end of chapter 3, Galatians 3, verse 26. He says, so in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you are all, you're all children of God through faith. For Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, oh, you ought you to you remember that. You are heirs according to the promises of God. The idea, as you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, is that God chose you to become one of his heirs. God chose you to become his son and to become his daughter. Amen? And notice verse 4. When did he choose you according to verse 4? When exactly did he choose you? The Bible says that he chose you before the creation of the entire world. He chose you before the creation of the world. And you can't get any earlier than that. Amen. I mean, God, he put the stars. You ever seen the stars and looked up and thought, man, those stars are beautiful. Well, God thinks those stars are beautiful. God was one thought it up. You know what? I want to I put some stars up in the sky. But before he put the stars in the sky, he decided he wanted you to be his son or to be his daughter. Before he created the oceans with the waves and the sand and the fish and the dolphins and the whales, he thought, I'm going to choose you. Before he did that, before the majestic mountains were put in place, he wanted you to become a part of his family, one of his Heirs. Oh, listen, we are people of privilege here today. You need to remember that. Number three, he predestined us. That's a difficult word. He predestined us. What does that mean to be predestined? It's a difficult word. Some people believe that predestination means that God decides in advance who is saved and who isn't saved. In theological terms, that's called Calvinism. The opposite of Calvinism is, is Armenianism, and I don't want to really go into that, but those are the ones who believe that, no, we have freedom to choose. And I'm, I lean more towards Armenia than Calvin. I don't believe that everything God wants to happen happens. I just don't believe that. Because God, first of all, wants everybody to be saved and not everybody saved. You do know God wants everybody to be saved, but everybody's not saved. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that's not his fault. A lot of stuff that happens is because God created us with free will, and in our free will, many of us have rejected God. Our hearts become hardened. We become evil ourselves, and we commit evil acts, and then God gets blamed for it, where God was the one that gave us freedom to choose. So anyway, that's a theological discussion there, all right? But I want you to write this down for a definition of... of predestination. And that is that God has mapped out in advance. That's a good phrase. God has mapped out in advance. And I believe that, that in advance, God mapped out a plan for you and a plan for me. Now, write this down. There's a difference between predestination and foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is when you know something's going to happen in advance, all right? Predestination is one thing when you plan it out Foreknowledge is when you know, and I think God has foreknowledge, too. I think God knows everything that happens before it happens. Before the creation of the world, that God set in motion a plan by which you would one day be saved. Before you were ever even born, before you ever took your first breath or your heart took its first beat, God had already prepared a place called heaven. He knew that he would send a thing called the Holy Spirit. He knew that there would be a Bible, the Word of God, who would present in great detail how when Jesus died, that he died for every Jew and for every Gentile on this planet, for anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that on this day, there would be a six-foot-five, bald, white preacher standing on this stage. And that you would be sitting in the very chair that you're sitting in this very moment, wearing the clothes that you're wearing. He knew all that. And that today you would hear and have an opportunity to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He set all that up in advance just so that you could become a part of his family. And then number four, oh, stay with me. He adopted us. The Bible says that he adopted us. Now, you have to look at the last two words of verse 4 because it goes with verse 5. It says, in love, everybody say, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You say, why would God choose me? Why would God predestine for me to hear the gospel? Because he loves you. And it makes him happy. It's for his pleasure. It makes him happy when you become a part of his family. Were you there when your son was born or your daughter was born? If you're a mother, I know you were. But uh, uh, have you ever experienced before or after such joy When this new child came into your family, and don't you think that God in heaven has that exact same joy whenever any one of you decides to step out and to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? In love, he decided to welcome you to become a part of his family. This was written in the time of the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was interesting because you have Roman Empire, Roman culture, intermingled with Greek culture. It's it's a very interesting time. We do know that there were times in the Roman Empire that the fathers, when a child was born, they would bring the child and place the child, the baby, at the father's feet. And if the father reached down and picked up the child, it meant that he wanted the child. If he turned and walked away and left the child, it meant that he did not want that baby. You say, well, why wouldn't he want the baby? Well, maybe he wanted a girl and it was a boy. Maybe he wanted a boy and it was a girl. Maybe it had a defect of some sort. Today, we just abort our children. We don't want it. We just abort it. They, they wouldn't really kill the children, but what they would do is they would abandon the child and leave the child in the hands of the fate of the gods in their mind. The elements. And if the elements killed the child, then so be it. And if not, then that was fine too. And oftentimes, they would take children and they would leave them at the garbage dump. And that happens in our culture. You, every once in a while, you'll hear about a baby that was left on the doorstep of a church or by the side of the road in a, in a trash dumpster. I read that from time to time. We have a guy on our staff. He works on our staff. In fact, he's the guy that brought this pulpit out here today. His parents put him in a paper sack and left him on the side of the road to die in Mexico. And somehow God rescued him, and he's a Christian now and working on our staff and was the one that brought this pulpit out here today. Back in those days, they would take the children and leave them at the trash dump, and then what would happen, someone would go out and they would look at the child And many times they would adopt the child or take the child and they would raise the child to be a slave or they would raise the child for prostitution purposes. And that's kind of the culture of this letter when it was written. And what Paul is saying is if you've come to know Jesus Christ, the most defining moment in your life is not who threw you out, but the most defining moment in your life is who welcomed you, is who adopted you, who took you in. He picked you up and he's taking you home because he wants you, because he loves you. I don't know if you've ever been dumped by a fiance. I don't know if you've ever been dumped by a spouse, by a company, by a friend. I heard of a story of a father who just walked out. He just walked out on his family. He comes back to visit once a year, he stays in a Motel 6. The mother of the two small children once a year drops those two children off at the motel. They spend the day with the dad in the hotel. And one of those kids grabs his daddy's legs and just holds on because he doesn't want his daddy to leave. Have you ever had a dad just walk out on you? You ever have a wife who just walked out of the marriage? You ever had a man who just walked out? I tell you... You need to understand that in love, God, through Christ, He chose you and desires to adopt you if you will only come and put your faith and love and trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus will never walk out or leave you ever, ever, ever.
1: Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.